Here with us is Kira Klingenberg and Kira Lindenberg from the Science Project, the nonprofit educational group that inspires kids and adults to use science to explore the world around them. Hello, ladies. Hello. What Good morning. It, what interesting things are we going to talk about today? Well, there is a lot of interesting stuff that's happening around the world in science right now. So really, all you have to do is Google science news and you're kind of spoiled for choice. What's so science? that's why today's show is going to be all about the most interesting science news that we could find on the internet this week. And we're going to quiz you guys and see how up to speed you are. Ah, uh, no! <laughs> well, that sounds great. I'm excited about this. So what's our first interesting news item? Okay, well, we're going to take a little trip to space. A short one. Only 1.2 billion kilometers, actually. Uh, we're taking a trip to Saturn. So it's the sixth planet from the sun. It's uh, the prettiest planet, too. Oh, yes. I mean, I really like the ring. And I've always wondered why some of the other planets didn't decide to have rings. I mean, they're so upstaged by Saturn. You're really yeah, passionate about glamorous. This. You came right out. You're just like, Psh, Saturn, most beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> You've been thinking about this, haven't well, you? Well, so Saturn has a total of 52 confirmed moons and nine provisional moons, which is 61 possible moons, which is like, whoa. Remember, we only have one moon here on Earth. One sad little moon. The moons aren't what constitute the ring, are they? No, are they? no, no, no. The ring is debris. And, oh. and, yeah. But the moons are there, and they're orbiting. So the first five of them, um, that's Titan, Lapidus, Rhea, Dione, and Tethys, they were all discovered way back in the 1600s. The most famous of these moons is probably Titan because, one, it's so enormous that it affects the orbit of nearby moons. Its atmosphere is kind of similar to what ours here on Earth used to be. And, you know, small change, but it's probably harboring this huge underground ocean. Which makes it really interesting. But Titan may not be Saturn's most interesting moon for long. Turns out it's got some competition from its little sister Dione. Yep, it turns out Dione, just like Titan, appears to also harbor a huge underground ocean. Well, let me stop you right there. When we're talking about ocean, yeah, and... It, it, are we talking about water as we define that term here on Earth? Yeah. Or is, is, this is this is H two O. Yes, which is why it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So here's your first quiz question. That's a good lead-in. So what is so exciting about Dione's possible ocean? Is it a that hidden beneath the icy surface, Dione's beachfronts are protected from the ravages of space? Scientists predict that they might be similar to our own and are entertaining the possibility of one day establishing a human colony there. Or is it B, Dione's ocean is buried so deep below the moon's surface that scientists are considering the possibilities of finding brand new life there? Or is it C, scientists have discovered that Dione's underground ocean actually makes up the entire core of the moon, and this is the first celestial object discovered to have a core entirely made of liquid water. Ed, what do you think? A, B, or C? Well, I mean, B certainly sounds like a possibility. I mean, if it's if it's H two O, it can support life, as we define the term here on Earth. So I don't see how that wouldn't be a possibility because if it's liquid, that we're assuming it's not frozen, aren't we? Right. That's uh, that right. Would be solid. So I think it's probably B. You are correct. The answer is B. So there's this team from the Royal Observatory of Belgium that has been gathering gravity data from uh, NASA's orbiting spacecraft called Cassini. And they created... (laughs) 
they created wow. models of that's like my favorite sound effect we've had so far by the way <laughs> but they uh, they created these models of Dione and the result of the simulation suggests that Dione's ocean is buried almost 60 miles below the moon's icy surface which is so deep that it's likely in contact with the moon's rocky core Wow, so Dione, did I say it right? I, we think Di- so. Dione <laughs> has a rocky core. As fascinating as that sounds, why do we care? Well, this is the key factor that's driving the idea that Dione's ocean could contain life. So according to uh, Tilio Rivoldini, yeah, let's pretend I said that right, <laughs> uh, who is the co-author of this study, quote, the contact between the ocean and the rocky core is crucial. Rockwater interactions provide key nutrients and a source of energy, both being essential ingredients for life. Additionally, the ocean has pretty much been there, well, we think it's been there, for the moon's entire history. So that provides plenty of time for the emergence of life to have occurred. So uh, who knows what we're going to find when we have a little bit better exploration. And, 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 and last point, are we assu- I assu- if it's liquid, so we're assuming it, it exists somewhere, be- somewhere within the freezing point and the boiling range of water on Earth, or... Do those numbers change because because they're farther from the sun, or there's a different atmosphere? Or you know? I don't even think we know. Okay, that's the crazy thing. I mean, the, the boiling point can change due to pressure um, and, and volume, but I don't think. I mean, it's probably. It's, I mean, it's going to be less hot, right? Because it's further away from the sun. But but I don't think that the the boiling point is going to change unless you're factoring pressure okay ed are you ready to invest in beachfront property uh yeah prouts neck maine yeah it's gonna be real i'm waiting for the homeowners association in prouts neck maine to get back to me and i'm 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 (laughs) cautiously optimistic they might get to my grandchild (laughs) (laughs) well yeah beachfront property on uh, dione it's the hottest thing Dione. Anyway, so let's no, the bring coldest it home. Let's, thing, but never mind. Go on. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. He's good at this. So let's bring it home a little. Let's bring it back to Earth. Uh, could we have a could we have a sound today. effect check? Please, uh, go on. <laughs> so biologists at the University of Iowa are studying what might become the newest superfood. It's three times more nutritious than cow's milk and four times more than buffalo's milk. This mother's milk, I'm sorry, the mother's milk from this species could feed hungry people the world over. So time for your second quiz question. The milk these scientists would like to harvest comes from what species? Is it A, cockroaches, B, humans, or C, platypi or platypodes or we don't really know what the plural for platypus is. I'm, I'm going to go with platypoda. D, cannabis sativa. <laughs> I mean, we, we, know, we know about hemp milk, <laughs> but I get, I, what I'm assuming here is that they're talking about leaving in the THC. It's not new, no, though. It's a wrong. new uh, milk. That's not even <laughs> an option. I've lived in Portland too long. All right, is what it, would it be? Kira, Wait, what did Kira, I just is, say? Is it cockroaches? Oh, God, you're good. You're good. Uh, okay, okay, so we weren't entirely forthcoming in the explanation. The substance in question does come from cockroaches, but it's not really milk. It's more of like a milk-like liquid. 
And the cockroaches aren't exactly your typical cockroaches. They're not the ones that scurry around your New York apartment. Uh, they're called <laughs> the Pacific... Like squeezing all the cockroaches <laughs> in your kitchen. <laughs> I mean, that's a great visual, maybe a great horror movie. But uh, they're basically, they're called the Pacific beetle cockroach. They're native to, to Hawaii. And they are the only species we know of so far that give birth to live young. So this sort of milk-like liquid is what the cockroach mothers of this particular species feed to their growing embryos. So as the babies feed on this milk-like liquid, the embryos develop, and the liquid concentrates in their stomach. Uh, it concentrates into minute crystals of protein. The exact chemical makeup of these crystals are still being studied by a bioresearch team in Bangalore, in India, to figure None out just what these... Yeah, to think how just what these crystals are made of, they use a process called X-ray diffraction. So now I'm going to get real nerdy. Uh, in X-ray yeah. diffraction, scientists hurl X-rays at the molecules making up a crystal, and then they see how they reflect and scatter. The scatter pattern then allows scientists to map out the placements of the atoms making up the crystal structure. So it gives them some insight into what the chemical makeup of the crystal is actually all about. So cool. Sounds like electron spectroscopy. A very cool, similar. Yeah, the, yeah. the idea of hurling stuff at other stuff. Just Ed, <laughs> are you a science guy? Braggadocious. So all this fancy scanning revealed that cockroach milk is super nutritious. It's basically what we call a complete food. It's full of amino acids, which are the building blocks our body needs to create proteins. It also uh, contains weird sugar molecules and a fatty acid stuck to them. But both of those things we need to function, and so apparently do baby cockroaches. And it sort of sounds gross on the surface of things, but... Um, I I can remember. I mean, this is literally in 1982. I, I um, was told to milk a goat on a farm in West Virginia. Kira does that. And when I, I made I made some comment about how goat milk struck me as kind of a gross proposition, and someone usefully pointed out the only reason that you don't think cow's milk is gross is that cows have sad eyes. Uh, you know, it really called my bluff on this, the, you know, the, the whole construct of cute. So less <laughs> listeners out there are thinking it's disgusting to drink co- cockroach milk. Think long and hard about how much bovine milk you've consumed in your life and then try to tell me, like, how is that better? I would well, argue cute. that the only reason well, when they, they sleep standing up, you can push them over in the meadow or... Anyway, never mind. Right. Well, I don't think it matters how cute. I mean, puppies are cute, and I don't want to drink puppy milk, but if it was something that we did on a societal basis, I don't think it would be that weird. Well, that's correct. I mean, so it's all knows? about it's all about pushing boundaries and creating a new paradigm. And we might be squeezing cockroaches. I'm all in for cockroach milk. Is I think where I'm going with this. Well, okay, but <laughs> but we should we should mention that there have not been any tests run yet to gather any evidence to see if it's actually safe for us to consume, um, and also it might prove to be more trouble than it's worth to actually milk the cockroaches uh, oh. successfully. So who knows? If any listener Maybe wants we'll to call in shelf. and <laughs> offer their children as test subjects, in oh my gosh! Oh, no, no, you're making me regret that we talked about this. <laughs> Don't go chewing on cockroaches out there. I think you also need like tiny insect-sized milking machines, which I don't think anybody has created those yet. So, unfortunately, extracting the liquid might mean killing the cockroach. So, we have yet to figure out how to mass-produce this sub- substance. But maybe we'll see Beetlejuice on the shelves anytime soon. But um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Then that needed yeah. a sound effect oh, pronto. Geez, did it. <laughs>
That probably needed the nerd, nerd alert. Um, okay, all right, so third article. Um, this is a fun one. Have you ever wanted to spin silk as strong as Spider-Man? Anybody? Of course Any I takers? Have. Come on, don't say no. Well, okay, apparently we are getting one step closer to superhero dumb, uh, all thanks to researchers at Tsinghua University in China. So the team of scientists has figured out how to get silkworms to produce super strong, resilient silk threads, which could be a huge innovation. This super silk, as they're calling it, could help us create incredibly durable fabrics, biodegradable medical implants, and even eco-friendly electronics. Yay! So, quiz question, how are they doing this? Well, okay, we'll give you a hint. They're feeding something to the silkworms. Uh, Epoxy. What is it? A? Oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Try to cut me out. A, incredibly small tubes of super strong carbon, otherwise known as carbon nanotubes. B, the silk sacs from a rare South American spider called the steel spider, known for their small but strongly constructed webs. Or is it C, milk from the aforementioned Pacific beetle cockroach? Mm, Ed, what do you think? Well, I mean, this this whole thing just reeks of of bizarre genetic manipulation and hybridization and what have you. So it's got to be the spider, um, which, of course, um, uh, begs the question, <laughs> what the hell does the child look like? And do we really want to know? But, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to introduce uh, that spider uh, DNA to these creatures and Emily, what see do you where think? it goes. Mm. I think it, it has to do with the A, the strong carbon. Bing! Where's my sound effect? Oh, yes, you are correct. It is carbon nanotubes for the win. Uh, the researchers of the team gave the silkworms these mulberry leaves that they had sprayed with a solution containing the nanotubes. And then after kind of happily munching away, the worms spun their cocoons and the super strong silk was collected. Wow. So once analyzed, the carbon-enhanced silks were found to be twice as strong as regular silk. They can handle 50% higher stress levels before breaking. And incredibly, these super silk threads even conduct electricity. So this is just the beginning. I mean, biologists still have to study how the silkworms are even incorporating the carbon nanotubes into their silk in the first place. And studies are still being done to find out if feeding the worms larger, more complicated carbon nanotubes will result in even stronger silk. And what happens if you give them beer? I mean, the possibilities here are endless. And they get drunk and they sleep and they don't spin silk. What do you want with that? Ooh, good point. Mm. Uh, What did you just say? Mm. I I, I don't know that you're being fair to beer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the science ladies have an issue with beer. I I get it. We can move on. I'm not offended. I love beer. Yeah, we like beer. We just don't feed it to our silkworms. Yeah, they they would love it, too. I was just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that was Hillary. Hillary just joined. <laughs> Let's move on. What's our What's our fourth article? This keeps getting better. Okay, so this is my favorite science news article Yay! that's come out recently, and you can guess why. It says that laughter makes you live longer. <laughs> there are these researchers in Norway who conducted a 15-year study, which is huge, uh, that included over 53,000 people. The study examined the connection between your risk of mortality and your sense of humor. So this complicated and complex study found, among other things, that people who have a healthy sense of humor 
may have a major immune advantage over people who take everything seriously. The study found a link between lower risk of dying from infection or cardiovascular disease and a strong, what they call, quote, cognitive humor aspect. Which roughly translates to, quote, a playful, non-serious frame of mind and some degree of diminishment in which things are viewed as being less important or admirable than they usually are. It's a mouthful. So you laugh like a crazy clown. So after adjusting for things like smoking, drinking, and lack of exercise, the study found that people who have a healthy cognitive component to their sense of humor have a 48% less risk of death from all causes, a 73% lower risk of death from heart disease, and an 83% lower risk of death from infection. Wow. Of course, assessing risk of death is a complicated issue, but scientists think that this correlation is due to what? A, laughing exercises key skeletal muscles like the diaphragm and the internal intercostals. B, being a social species, people who laugh a lot are more accepted by their peers, meaning they have a stronger social support system and feeling of purpose within the group. Or C, laughing at a situation prevents the escalation of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Huh. What do you you think? I'm going to go with C. I like that, too. Well, there's probably an element of truth in all of these answers. Um, According to the professor who's the co-author of this study, I think his name is Sven Svebeck. You do it very well. It turns out that laughter does provide a buffer against cortisol elevation in both social conflict and stressful situations. So the answer is C. Awesome. But if you laugh in the wrong person's face, you're going to get shot for disrespecting them. So there goes that data. I wonder if they factored that into the study. Gosh, yeah, I didn't see that when in the list of controls, you know, <laughs> deaths by firearm wielded by person who doesn't think it's funny that you're laughing at them. Send it well, back to the laboratory. I, this study needs Humans to be- are complicated. You make a very good point. Studying humans and all the factors that address humans... You're right. You could get that is very true. You can almost always. There's so many ways to die too. So, (laughs) but in this case, in this case, I will say that they're making a good argument because cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is associated with suppressed immune function. So when we presume that's because when you're being chased down by a lion, so your cortisol levels are high, you're super stressed, you need all of your energy to either run or fight energy that would otherwise be actively used by your immune system. So next time you're being chased by a lion, I guess you could turn around and try laughing in its face. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally the lesson that we need to learn here. Gosh, I'm so glad. I'll remember that next time I'm hiking on the Olympic Peninsula and I'm watching out for bear. Forget the whistle. Forget the rattle. Forget the cans that I'm dragging on the uh, from my ankles with uh, pebbles in them. Just laugh at her. Oh my! As as I stand between her and her cubs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you might get eaten, but your cortisol levels won't go up. Right. <laughs> well, Kira and Kira, you have once again shown us that everything is interesting. Thank you so much for joining us Yay! today. Thank you for having us. You're listening to KXRY Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. And before we go, let's thank some of our sponsors, if we shall. Mount Tabor Chiropractic. I love that guy, uh, Steve Kingston. 
go uh, go give him his business and big thanks uh, to him for supporting us at Mount Tabor Chiropractic Center in business on Hawthorne Street since 1985. A full service chiropractic.